Hey everyone, welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, your usual host for these things, and I am, without a doubt, biased. It's true, I really do like and dislike some things over other things for reasons that may not make sense to you or even myself on some days, or those reasons may seem a bit unfair, which is the literal definition of being biased. So, episode 62 it's titled Editor Preference and Why They Matter. So the truth is, though, that you're all biased as well, including all the other reviewers and editors out there. We all have our preferences, and no matter how objective and impartial we are, there's no way that our preferences don't color these reviews that we do. No review is truly unbiased, and you should always keep that in mind that, well, my opinion and everyone else's is mostly shaped by not just how the product performs, but also a little by my preferences and opinions, guys. And that's why we try to be transparent about those preferences when writing product reviews. And it's why today's podcast is all about editor preferences, why they matter, and why it's important that you should be aware of them so you can make better decisions when you're buying bikes and gear. So, as usual, I've got Mike Casimer on the Pink Pod, who I'm sure will be happy to point out all of my questionable preferences for the next hour. Kazimer, you and I have very different priorities when it comes to pretty much anything and everything, be it bikes, cars, food, animals, and who knows what else. But I, I think that makes it I think that makes our reviews and our conversations a little more interesting, eh? Yeah, yeah we're good. Okay, we have differences. We can argue pretty we're good at arguing, so that, that helps. Yeah. Yeah. So to unpack the rest of this, I've also got Brian Park, the boss man, and James Smurthwaite, who's gonna read the news. First Brian, what is the one preference of mine that you wish I didn't have? My one bias. Mm. I'm putting you on the spot it's, here. It's your, it's your bias against using calendars and deadlines. <laughs> that's, a, that's actually 100 percent fair, everybody. Opposition to Google Docs. <laughs> that is fair. So, all right, before we get into everything and why Casmer's opinions on everything is wrong, we need to talk about the news, James. Take it away. Thanks, Mike. Um, we wrapped up the second half of the field trip with the roundtable discussion on the full suspension bikes this week. So these were the bikes that were all pre- priced between two and three grand. And just for a reminder, they were the Da Vinci Marshall, the Polygon Siskiyou, the Giant Trans X, the Marin Rift Zone and the Ibis Ripley. Levy, it seemed that both you and Sarah settled on the Ripley as your pick of the bunch. But what stood out about that one in particular? For me, it's that bike's DW suspension. If anybody's read my Ripley reviews over the years, or my reviews of any of Ibis's bikes, um, I've always liked that suspension system. It's efficient, and it makes for a fast, kind of rewarding bike, if not an overly forgiving one, to be fair. Like, that Polygon was definitely more forgiving than the Ibis, but for how I ride, yeah, I, I definitely like that Ibis. We have a ban on Mike Levy calling any DW Link bikes energetic. It's his favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> what about sporty? Oh, sporty's a yeah. Yeah, also climbs, suspension. Yeah, there's a lot of new, like a scalded okay. cat. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, a lot of new cliches come out came out from that last batch of field test videos. It's good. There's we've only pa- so many words. I know. <laughs> it does seem like we've moved past the roots and rocks phase, though. Like I was really big for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I think we got it out of our system. Yeah, I'm working on a new one: rock fields and root fields. Ooh. I'm gonna. Yeah, rock fields. I'm going to bring those in. Casimir, like of, those, of those test bikes, I suspect that you would like the Polygon the most. Is there is there one that interests you more than another one? 
Uh, yeah, that seems fair. I mean, all of them are pretty like extra regular, which is good because it, if you're getting into the sport, you don't really need some wacky and wild bike to get you going. You want something that just works. And I think, yeah, the Polygon seemed good. I think I'd like the Ripley as well. Um, yeah. Those are two stood out. And that, the Da Vinci actually kind of interested me also. Yeah. Can we, before we move on, let's talk about brakes for a second because that the round table full suspension mm-hmm. review just posted and there's already a zillion comments and half of them are calling out sort of our gripes with the bikes brakes um which i'm sort of surprised by brian uh i haven't read those comments but i did see one a few ago, a few episodes ago that i thought was interesting about <clears throat> about how we have a bias towards excellent brakes and we like and you actually oh, yeah, no, it turns out <laughs> but that that uh for the people that are often buying these bikes um getting into the sport which is one a totally reasonable consideration is that maybe they aren't used to brakes this good maybe like brake performance is relative and they're coming from bikes with way worse brakes so too touchy of brakes would be kind of sketchy yeah, and i was like i well, disagree with that well yeah. i thought it was an I interesting think- perspective if you grab a handful of any brake, even a, a crappy brake, you still could potentially go over the handlebars if you just were totally clueless. I could confirm that. Yeah, but like the fact that you don't, if you could have power and everything at the same price, I think that that's important. The, the thing I didn't like is that it, I don't think that inexpensive, sorry, relatively inexpensive $3,000 bikes should just be for beginners either. It's like, well, yeah, that too. They're just more affordable. But like, I think the nice thing is like all of these bikes that were in the review all of us that are spoiled by expensive bikes should ideally be able to hop on them and have a good time. Like that's kind of the point. And so having bad brakes doesn't seem, and it's not just the fact they don't slow you down. Some of the ergonomics are still bad. Like making a shorter brake lever doesn't cost more money than making a longer brake lever. Like, I just don't like people being penalized. I think if you're spending, even if you buy a $1,200 hardtail, I think maybe the bike should just cost $50 more. And then that person doesn't have to get another set of brake pads you know, maybe a, two weeks later when they realize the brakes could be better. Maybe it's a non-issue. I don't know. Like everybody out there that's, if you're listening to this and you've bought your first mountain bike, let us know in the comments. Maybe we're completely out to lunch here and those resin pads and rotors are more than powerful enough. I think a lot of product management at that level gets done by playing whack-a-mole with complaints. So, you know, you put out a, the last inexpensive bike you put out, people complained about the tires so then you put slightly better tires on and then you have a new you know the next year it's like everybody complains about the color so then you make the colors different and then the next year the top complaint is the geometry so then finally somebody you know updates the geometry and then you know and you go by that so mm-hmm. so if you I mean, know I think if they're not getting complaints about the brakes from beginners because they don't know any better they've never had better brakes then I'm here to complain, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, leave me here to complain for you guys. Yeah, that's our job. I mean, I think the cool thing is we're getting close. And so that's why it's like these bikes are so close to being where any of us could purchase them, use them as our only bike, and as spoiled as we are, be totally happy. Like the suspension is getting really close. The drivetrains are really close. And so I think the last little bit is if the brakes can pump up, then you'd have these $3,000, $2,500 bikes that are totally acceptable for all abilities. So I, th- I think that's why the complaints happen. 
Okay, uh, We Are One, best known for their rims that are designed and produced in Kamloops. Um, it looks like they're going to move into frame manufacturing too. They put out some cryptic social media posts, so we reached out to them to see if there was any more information we can get. They wouldn't tell us much, but we do know it's going to be a full sus. Uh, it's going to be made from carbon. It's going to be a 2.9er, and it's going to have super boost spacing. Like the rims, it's going to be made in Kamloops as well. Have you guys heard anything more about this bike? I, I don't know... I might get in trouble, but I've, sorry, Dustin and Tyler, <laughs> I've seen the bike. It's fucking gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Um, that's all I'm going to say. I'm, I can't say the travel or anything like that, but yeah. Well, there are some what, sp- spot shots floating around from the little teaser. Oh, there are. There were some people like screenshot at the, uh, the oh, video okay. that they themselves launched. So you can kind of. Um, do we know when this might be, uh, might be coming out or do we not have a, a time frame yet? No I real do time not frame. No. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with parts delays more than anything. Um, it's one of the same case that a lot of companies are uh, in where they can have they can make the frames probably or be pretty close, but they're still trying to get parts and things. So, oh, so are they trying they, to launch it as a complete? I believe so. Again, I don't know a ton either, but I think the plan is to have it as complete. But I don't know, so don't quote me on that one. Right, everybody, Kaz, you heard it here first. Kaz said it. Yeah, Available maybe, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, does the bike? Does the frame being made in Canada, does it have any more appeal to you because of that? I think everybody has home, like has little home team home team pride, um, and uh, yeah, for sure. I you know i I would definitely place a premium on something that's made locally or semi locally just just because it's cool and just because yeah. Well, and especially with we are one because like we know Dustin and Tyler and those people and it's, yeah, there's something cool about going and seeing the people who make the thing. Yeah. Dustin, some backstory. I mean, Dustin was North America's fastest world cup downhiller, I think for a couple of years, like way back yeah. when giant had that anodized blue downhill bike, but like the guy is fast as hell. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Kaz, have you ever used the rims? Yeah. I tested those. Um, I can't remember the model names, but, uh, but yeah, they worked great. Like they were carbon wheels and they didn't break, which is always a good thing. Seems That's strong. nice. That's I visited, great. that's when they had their smaller facility in Kamloops. And I went and visited them. Cool little operation they got going on there. So yeah, seems like a good, good crew and uh, excited to check out that bike when it comes out. I think for me, one of the things that's really just nice when there are less steps between the giant box that products come out of and the closer you get to see like, oh shit, like these are actual real things being made by real things rather than just parts being a thing that you go to the bike shop and purchase off the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the closer you get to the manufacturing, the cooler it is, at least for me. Moving on, um, Alicia has done another of her thought experiment builds. This time, she wasn't trying to build a light bike, but a really, really heavy one. She ended up spending a virtual $7,000 on a bike that weighed 20 kilograms or 45 pounds, and that's without a motor or battery. Um, this bike... Actually, looks like it'd be super durable. Not a million miles away from your Madonna, Brian, and um, it'd definitely get you fit. So unfair. <laughs> what did you guys think of this one? You know, I'm surprised it's not heavier. I I remember, I remember struggling to get my bikes under forty pounds, and now she's struggling to get this thing to be forty five. I had a, I had a two four three hardtail that weighed forty five pounds. Profile cranks, Atom Lab rims, great. She she could have made it heavier, but like when we talked about how to do this, it was the goal was to do it with nice stuff, just like nice heavy stuff rather than mm. shit. 
So yeah, yeah, we could have made it worse. Yeah. Hey, Kaz. Yeah. I remember recently you mentioned that a battery died on your e-bike when you were riding. Mm -hmm. What was that bike like to ride after that? Oh yeah, that was annoying. But it, I mean, I, I just kind of like flipped back my. I went like back in time. Was like I used to do this all the time. It'll be okay. Yeah. And then and it was okay. But yeah. You also have some like drag from the motor, I think, too. So it's not exactly the same as riding a regular bike. But yeah, that thing was 48 pounds and I pedaled it up a steep thing for a while. Yeah. So yeah, they're not really made for riding without the motor. It's cool. It was, I thought like on the one hand, it was surprising that it was as light as it was and sh that she struggled this much to get it heavy. But on the other hand, it is a good reminder that weight, all that stuff adds up. Like none of those things were bad parts and just if you don't pay attention to weight, it's not hard to end up with a 45-pound trail bike all of a sudden. What frame was she using? Someone's steel frame? Privateer. Privateer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Practically yeah. steel. <laughs> well, I mean, some people made some good suggestions about heavier steel boutique kind of things, but we wanted something a little bit mainstream. I thought that it was be, it being alloy was even even more like, whoa, that's a heavy bike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is like a easily, it's a off-the-shelf attainable heavy heavy bike you wouldn't have to go to like some special heavy parts maker it's like the opposite <laughs> of the other one <laughs> she had a really good point too that like it was hard to find some parts because nobody nobody advertises in their copy like heaviest in class yeah finally uh world cup racing is back the first two downhill rounds might have been postponed uh, maribor and fort william but the xc season kicked off as scheduled in alpstad uh, Victor Koretsky took his first ever World Cup win after beating Nino in a sprint in the men's race. And Luana Lecomte, another young rider, um, showed she could be the next big name in cross country uh, by taking a really dominant win in the women's race. There's plenty to talk about here, but most of the discussion has been based around Tom Pickcock. We nominated him as one of our athletes of the year in 2020 as an under 23, and he proved exactly why he deserved that award in his first race as an elite. He comes over from cyclocross and road, a bit like Vanderpool. He's part of the Ineos Grenadiers, the richest team in cycling, and he overtook about 70 riders to finish on the podium, all while dealing with a slow puncture or race. It's absolutely crazy. Um, did you guys get a chance to watch this one? I didn't watch the live, but I watched the highlights and just there had a bunch of highlights of him passing people. He passed so many people. And one guy was not being nice and looked like he was trying to like edge him out. Like, so they were like battling and then he just crushed him. He like to come from, yeah, where he started like 11th row or something all the way to the front. It's like, yeah, it was fast. real like wacky races. Like you'd see a line of riders going up a single track and then like war riding past them at intervals was like Tom Pigcock. Like he just, yeah, yeah he was definitely a level above most of the field he won't have made many friends but I, I doubt he'll really race against those people again he's going to be racing yeah, against exactly. nino vanderpool um victor koretsky those guys at the front now mm -hmm. i feel like levy looked at the results and saw that nino didn't win and then was like i'm not gonna watch the race <laughs> i don't know who this victor guy is and i don't you should watch the final sprint <laughs> the sprint is impressive because it, it, like the whole race came down to the last sprint and like he just gets him like it's a full-on yeah. just both of them are sprinting nino versus koretsky yeah. and, well i think it's fair to say him. nino probably had some sort of issue going on he was probably <laughs> oh, yeah you know like maybe his break i think his break might have been rubbing or something uh, yeah no one just out sprints nino the last <laughs> oh, yeah. time somebody out sprinted nino he had a mechanical with his pedal i'm gonna say the last time somebody out sprinted nino it was when you you rode with him <laughs> no that didn't happen there <laughs> Uh, Saved he himself got in the Olympics, yeah. I reckon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That must be. C congratulations, Victor Koretsky. 
it's probably not going to happen again. <laughs> Anyways, I think this year is going to be crazy. We got Vanderpool and this Pidcock and Nino, and they're all in it trying to get to the Olympics. It's going to be wild, I think. I think yeah. Vanderpool is uh, going to be damn impressive. Um, it just, it, it's amazing to me that a guy like that could balance the classics and mountain biking. And I think Vanderpool's also doing the tour this year. I mean, just. Plus he looks like he's like eight feet tall. How tall is he? He looks like a giant. Well, is that just me? He's, I think he's not a small, he's not a small guy. Yeah. He looks like a classics cool. guy. Yeah. 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 He's ridiculous. Yeah. He's yeah, riding cool. a 34, I think. Yeah, um, there's another World Cup race this weekend in Novi Mesto. That's the last chance for a lot of racers to qualify for the Olympics. So I think that one's going to be pretty hectic. Definitely would recommend tuning in to that one. This week's Pink Bike Podcast is presented by Polygon Bikes. Polygon is one of the few global bike brands with their own manufacturing facilities, where they also produce OEM for loads of other brands. In order to provide better value to riders, their bikes are available factory direct and through Bikes Online in the US and Australia. Polygon Siskiyou T8 is proof that good geometry needn't cost the world, opening up way more trails to any rider. Learn more about the Siskiyou T8 at polygonbikes.com. Okay, let's move on to questions. And the first one is from Rusky Skier 27 Casimir. He has a question for the panel. He's calling us the panel. I like that. It's very official. Yeah. How has where you grew up riding played a role in what sort of skills you excel in? He says, growing up in Connecticut... I've always found that tight, awkward corners and flat, chunky tech were a relative, relative strength and still what I enjoy most. He says he's traveled, he's gotten better at other aspects of riding, um, but he definitely believes that that environment shaped him to be the type of rider he's become. Kaz, do you think that where you grew up, you also grew up in Connecticut, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, riding bikes. Do you think that's had a, that's been a factor in who the man you've become, Kaz? Uh, I bet it did like a little bit initially, like since my first experiences with mountain biking were rockier, kind of chunkier, weird, mostly just hiking trails, what we were riding on back then. So I'm sure that kind of helped me have an appreciation for those weird, awkward trails. Um, and then, but now, you know, having traveled a ton and ridden a bunch of places, I think all of that kind of goes into what you, what kind of rider you become. But yeah, I do think your initial experiences help shape you yeah. to a certain extent, but as you travel more, you kind of find what you like more. Yeah, I say we've been pretty blessed to grow up in the Pacific Northwest, Kaz, and, and be exposed to, I mean, we've been all over the world, but this is a pretty amazing spot. And I think it's definitely allowed us to become uh, more skilled riders in some ways than if we went, if we grew up in another place. I think for me, my local mountain, the mountain that I started riding on, it starts with like the world's steepest fire road. <laughs> And you just had to like climb straight up it. So I think that's been a factor for me. And I, if I didn't have that, I'd probably be more of a shoulder rat kind of guy, maybe. So you, but you like that, right? Like you, that initial yeah. steep fire road, like that's now, that just you set know, the standard for you, right? I mean, that's how I started mountain biking 25 years ago. And that's how it was every ride. It just started with like a kick in the balls kind of climb. And that's probably been a factor in making me the the rider that I am today. Yeah like it yeah i don't know <laughs> all right James next question this one's from full endurbro it's a question for the group oh this is a good one do you ever get tired of needing to be diplomatic in the bike industry he says do you ever wish you could just call it a brand for mediocre engineering masquerading behind great marketing or talented riders uh for example do you ever want to ask trek 
what in the world they're doing with their R&D budget because they haven't done anything since they released ABB in 2007. <laughs> Full of Durbro, I think that's pretty harsh, harsh and inaccurate. Yeah. That's not yeah, true. not true. <laughs> <laughs> At all. Yeah. But, um, Kaz, I, li- what, I like that he thinks that we're diplomatic. That's yeah, nice. I feel like I'm not, but... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as far as a response to that, I mean, we're not going to call out Trek because they've done a bunch of stuff. And I think that... I don't know, just like the need to be diplomatic. I mean, we need to be fair, but I don't think we, if something sucks, we'll say it sucks. That's kind of how it works. But Yeah. I th- I think that part of the thing is, is that a lot of stuff is so good today that we have to be pretty nitpicky. Like if we're using a product, how it was intended, um, the stuff works really good. So we end up talking more about... Whining how- about breaks. Yeah, complaining about breaks <laughs> yeah. or where the said product might suit or not suit a rider. Um, also, I think tact comes into it too. Like something could be terrible, but you still have to talk about it with a bit of tact. Also, I think the the podcast has been really helpful in that regard. Obviously, when we write a bike review, we, we're writing something and we're reading it 20 times and then fixing something and moving a word around where in the podcast is definitely more like off the cuff. And that's been a big sort of, I feel like a release for me, Casimir and Brian, being able to just talk about a bike review kind of off the cuff and casually. And I think that the readers and people listening, I think, enjoy that as well too. So when we have a review that goes up and you want to hear more about the bike, definitely listen to the podcast because we always talk about the reviews in there. I think that the the reviews have to stand, like the written reviews have to stand on their own, even if somebody isn't super dialed into who we are and what we do. Whereas on the podcast, it's more about our own personal preferences rather than what the bikes are like intended for or in the bigger picture of bike stuff. This is more just like, yeah, I think it was cool or I think it was stupid or whatever. Yeah. We got two more questions. This is from Grizzle. He's wondering if he should keep worrying that he's missing out on the whole long reach thing. He's six foot six. He's on an extra-large Ibis Ripmo AF cast. That's a 495mm reach. Um, he says bumping up to 510mm doesn't seem worth it, considering that he does like his bike. But maybe a 525 double extra-large bike is worth making the move. Is it really noticeable? Uh, he says he lives in Washington, rides plenty of steep technical trails. Gristle, definitely, if, if that bike, if it's time for a new bike... You should get something that is as long as you could possibly find. You're six foot six. Um, you're going to be in more control and have more confidence. Kaz, off the top of your head, who's a brand? What's a brand that offers something with like a ridiculous large long reach for this guy? Um, I mean, there's always like Geometron and those type of companies. But I think Specialized right now, they're sizing. Um, I ride with Chris Mandel a lot and he's very tall. He works for Rockshox, but he's 6'3", but arms of like a 6'7 person. And he's got a... I think he has a stump jumper Evo that's like a S5 that actually looks like it fits him, which doesn't isn't usually the case. He usually looks like a, um, I could use some analogy with it, like a monkey humping the football. I think that's a good analogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like this, I think the S, it's an S5 or S6, whatever the biggest size Specialized makes, I think that's actually got a pretty roomy reach. But more and more, it's easier for taller people to find bikes that fit them, which is nice. It's got to be nice for all the people that have always struggled. And for this guy, yeah, 6'6 six, six on a 495 reach, that's like, I'm 5'11, I could probably ride that bike and not feel too out of control so i think he definitely needs a bigger bike and yeah that 525 sounds like a good goal to shoot for that new giga it may be bigger than what he's looking for if he's on, if he's on a ripmo but uh that new giga that um alan crisp one of our sales guys bought is uh that's quite long as well 
5.15, I think. Alternately, Gristle, you could just put a 120 millimeter long stem on your Rip- Ripmo AF. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Last question before we move on to our discussion. This one is from Alex Schuer. Pink bike paid for tattoos. He wants to hear about it, Kaz. Kaz, you have a pink bike tattoo, don't you? Yeah. Well, our first couple trips, I think there were some of my first trips with, with pink bike. That was like eight years ago now. It's a long time ago, but we had a budget. We were able to, the, it's kind of a bet. If we went, so the way it worked, we would drive it down from Canada. I'd be driving down from Washington to go to Sea Otter. And on the way, if we stopped at a, we had to stop at the first tattoo parlor that we saw and then get a tattoo and pink bike would pay for it up to, I think like 300 bucks or something. So we couldn't get like full, full body tattoos, but, um, so that's how Levy ended up with knuckle tattoos. And I ended up with like a little semicolon because we went in, cause he said the way it worked is Levy said he would get knuckle tattoos if everyone else in the car got a tattoo. So, uh, two out of Everybody the three of did. us, except for Tyler, he didn't. We were oh just talking shit, about he didn't. Yeah. Tyler wouldn't soil his beautiful skin, but, um, yeah, me and the other person with us, we both agreed to get, uh, get tattoos. And so we went in and yeah, what, I think the tattoo artist name, her name was like little Jen. She had like full neck tattoos and yeah. So, and then, uh, so that's how we got our first tattoo. And then the next time we were doing like a field test kind of field trip thing in Sedona. And that's when it kind of ended. Cause we went to this same thing. We went to the first tattoo parlor that we saw went in and we both got really crappy tattoos. Cause this guy was Terrible. coming off an Oxycontin habit. It's definitely the worst tattoo that I have because the Kaz words isn't are even like, joking, everybody. He no, no, he literally us. told us that. <laughs> yeah. His head yeah. was shaking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got like words. I got a poem tattooed on me, and it's like so blurry and bad now that I need to get it covered up eventually. But so that kind of ended our. Uh, yeah, it ended our <laughs> pink bike paying for tattoos thing. But yeah, Levi and I both have a couple of tattoos that pink bike paid for. Didn't get on the wrong trips. <laughs> <laughs> we can get it going we, again. I think is there budget? Well, didn't right? I say? Well, didn't I say I'd pay for that Taj tattoo that you got? Oh really? I'll send you an invoice. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I think we Wait. said that at the at the time at the field test. Oh, well, I got two of them now. So, oh shit, I'm money. only paying for one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the but cheaper yeah. one, <laughs> Alex. Sure, that's the story of uh, Pink Bike. Does pay for a tattoo sometimes? So, yeah. If we ever do another road trip again, maybe we'll celebrate by getting some tattoos that Pink Bike will pay for. I'm in. Yeah, we should. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I need more. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Lee, all right. You're gonna travel. I- you're gonna travel again. Um, I kind of feeling like I might want to, not at a plane, mind you, but I <laughs> no, would definitely no, take a boat to Taiwan. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the next Taipei trade show, I'm going to take a boat there. I'll leave a month like, before you guys. If we could have a tattoo artist on the boat, by the time we get off, we'll have so many tattoos. It'll be great. <laughs> it's the last thing I need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's enough tattoo talk. Let's get into our discussion, uh, about editor preferences and why you need to know them, why they matter and why reviewers should sometimes forget about them. So I thought this would be a good topic to cover after reading a somewhat disappointing Pinker comment on a bike review. So I'll paraphrase here, but basically it said, Levy likes bikes that pedal well, but he doesn't realize that usually means suspension that less forgiving. Why not just use the pedal assist switch, blah, blah, blah. I kind of tuned out after he said pedal assist, which I stopped reading. (laughs) (laughs) So to the pinker who made that comment, I'm 100% overly aware of the drawbacks of a suspension system that puts the emphasis on pedaling efficiency. It's just that I don't care because that's my preference. And to be fair, it's not exactly a secret. I've made it very obvious over the years. And definitely I mention that every time I sort of... 
I sort of couch that idea when I'm talking about pedal assist switches that I have a preference for bikes that don't need them. So that brings us to why it's important that reviewers should be transparent about things they prefer. It's as simple as knowing what that reviewer prefers, and the onus is definitely on the reviewer to make that happen so that readers get a clear picture of things. A lot of you guys know that I love a bike that pedals well. So when I get a bike in that pedals like crap, well, does that mean that the review is going to be full of hate for that bike? Absolutely not. The bike wasn't made to make me happy. I might disagree with the approach, Casimir, and I'll definitely sort of paraphrase that and let people know, but the product needs to be tested how it was used, and that's our goal with most of these reviews. Like People need to know our preferences so that they can better understand why we like or dislike things. So Kaz, you review everything from 120mm travel trail bikes to 200mm travel e-bikes, but I bet there's a certain type of bike that you prefer over others and certain traits that you prefer over others, and I kind of want to boil that down at first here. So I got some questions for you, just basic questions. Do you prefer more or less travel? Uh, how about the right amount of travel in, oh, in the middle? That's not bad. <laughs> I'm not as biased as Kaz you. <laughs> is on the fence, everybody. <laughs> I usually am. No, I mean, it depends where I'm riding. You know, for if I, if I could only have one bike, it would probably be in that 130 to 140 mil rear travel with a 150 to 160 mil fork. Like if that was my only bike for everything, that's probably yeah. what I'd pick. But uh, luckily I'm spoiled. And so I, I like bikes of all different travels for yeah. different things. And for, for a given amount of travel, do you want that bike to be like a ground hugging thing that sort of smooths everything out? makes the trail feel fast and smooth or do you want some feedback and more of an efficient poppy suspension uh, i do think i think i have a preference for bikes that deliver more traction so that tends to be a little bit more on the plusher side of things but yeah. i also don't want a bike that bottoms out too easily i really like to hit jumps and you know push hard into corners or into the you know terrain so it needs to have a decent amount of ramp up but everything with balance you know you can have a bike that has too much um, end stroke ramp up and it can make you feel like you're hitting a wall of progression, which I don't like that. So, I mean, overall balance is the name of the game for me, but um, yeah, I do like traction is definitely high in my priority list. And so that would kind of dictate parts and, um, and the type of bike I would end up on, I think. Okay. Interesting. When you get a bike, say you get a bike that's, I think perfect example would be a bike like that Ibis. It's gen, they're generally not bikes that stick to the ground. They're generally more active, playful bikes to use like cliche do you try to turn it into something that's more forgiving or do you ride that bike sort of how it was designed to be set up uh, yeah i'd ride it how it was designed to be set up i mean i also have expectations that i know or i need to, i know that i need to temper my expectations to kind of adjust you know if i'm riding a 120 bike i'm not trying to make it feel like a super plush enduro thing so like a 120 a snappy 120 bike i think that's cool like i'm i know how it should technically ride and uh and i can kind of set it up according to you know what the manufacturer suggests and to fit my preferences but it's not like i'm not going to be typically putting like coil spring or like trying to make it the like gooey mushy 120 bike i think the ibis was a good example because you gave you gave there you really didn't get along with their suspension uh sort of philosophy in the last year or two in terms of the rebound Mm-hmm. Yeah, their traction tune with the mm -hmm. fast rebound. Neither Casimir um, or I really are a fan of that. Yeah, but you gave it, you know, you you gave it a fair shot. You did for its intended use. Um, and I thought that the way you presented your findings, like, hey, this is definitely not for me. You know, their time testing says X. Some people may like it, but 
a hundred percent not doesn't work for me and i i'm i don't think it's going to work for a lot of people i thought that was a pretty even keel response yeah a big part of our job is giving these products a fair shake mm-hmm. and i think that starts with setting them up how the manufacturer recommends a lot of times kaz like when you get a fork you've never ridden this fork before what are you doing? You're looking at the recommended settings. You're starting there and you're you're going from there. Or you're you're riding the fork how it was intended or the bike how it was intended. What about Kaz when you are getting bikes for review? Is it hard sometimes to get bikes in that you look at and you're like, well, you know, this isn't my kind of bike, but it's a new bike. We have to review it. Um, it's an important bike. How, is that a difficult thing to do? Not too much, I'd say. Like, I mean, there are, I wouldn't say there's any bikes that I totally don't get along with, like off the top of my head. But there are bikes where I, you know, sometimes after a couple of rides, I'm not really enjoying it and the bike doesn't quite fit, you know, my taste. But I do make myself keep riding it. Um, not like it's hard to make myself ride, but it is like, you know, it is I need to keep trying to figure out the nuances of the bike and figure out, you know, who it might work for. Or maybe there is a glaring issue that needs to be addressed. So, um, yeah, sometimes that type of thing happens where the bike comes in. I might have high expectations. I ride a few times, like, oh, they just missed the boat on whatever that is, a suspension tune or some geometry figure or something. So usually I just try to get enough rides on it so that I can, you know, accurately discuss uh, what I was experiencing. I think the two of us make a good pair with this kind of stuff too, Kaz, because just how it's worked out, we prefer some pretty different styles of, of bikes. So a lot of times if there's a bike that you're like, hey, like, I... I mean, this isn't the right way to put it, but this isn't my style of bike and, you know, I might not get the most out of it or I might not maybe understand the bike. I mean, you, you understand the bikes, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so someone like myself might get that bike, whereas obviously you've been riding some longer travel e-bikes lately and that's definitely more, more your jam. I'm riding more than e-bikes. <laughs> no, he only rides eight-inch eight, eight travel e-bikes. Everybody, <laughs> I don't even know where this 200 mil e-bike is, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is true that our the way even our our typical riding styles have kind of put us into you know you tend to be on the more like down country lighter trail things, and these days I'm more on the kind of enduro side of things, or you know some more aggressive trail bikes, and that kind of goes to our riding style. So it makes it easier to test a bike that fits the way you're going to go for a ride, like. If I sent you some big enduro thing, you could definitely ride it, but more than likely it wouldn't be the type of riding you were doing at that moment. So yeah, we just try to divide it up between the editors who's you know, like Dan Roberts has been doing a lot of downhill bike testing because he's got Champery in his backyard. So that's ideal for him. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of kind of how it works just to make sure the bikes all get a fair shake. Brian, in the past, we talked about having editors ride and review certain genres of bikes so like myself i spend more time on cross-country and trail bikes and down country bikes than someone like casimir who rides bikes with more travel how do you think that affects our reviews given especially that like shorter travel bikes are my preference oh well i think it makes them better and maybe not necessarily less um affected by your preferences but um, I think it just makes it more useful because if you're reviewing, we were maybe a bit different than other media. We only do other than field tests where we do like a really condensed number of bike reviews in one, in one sitting. Most of our bike reviews are like one a month per editor. So each, each technical editor is doing 12 a year, which is a lot less than, than other media. 
So if in the, you know, having you do 12 bikes in a similar category of, of, uh, like bike intended use, it's going to give you better information to, to give to the readers. Like, I think it just makes, makes your verdicts more uh, and comparisons more valid. Yeah. A hundred percent. Cause I've ridden X amount of trail bikes, a whole bunch of these trail bikes. I've been focusing on them for the last six months or a year or whatever it is. And now I have the latest thing and I can compare it to all the other trail bikes that I've been riding. Kaz, do you think that us being in the cycling industry and knowing some of these people and these brands, is that a factor at all? I, I definitely see it in the comments every now and then. I see somebody basically saying like, oh, these people know these people. The industry is quite small. Um, how does that play out when we're reviewing a bike? I mean, yeah, it is definitely a small industry. And if you, once you're in it enough, you're going to make friends with some of the people that you're, you know, people that helped make the bike that you're reviewing. But I think that almost makes it easier. Like you, if you can just message somebody and be like, Hey, this bike's doing this, what's up? Or like, why'd you guys do this? It's almost easier than, than dealing with someone you've never dealt with before. Um, if you can get that feedback back and forth. And I think that, you know, as you review more bikes and you do interact with all these people working for the companies, if they start respecting your opinion, I don't think it it's that much of an issue really. It just... Yeah. It makes it easier maybe to find out the reasoning behind something you might not agree with. Um, and I don't think I would, you know, I know I would never give a bike a good review just because I like the people at the company, you know, that doesn't work like that. Um, also say it's, we have, it's, we're pretty accessible. Um, brands that like, if somebody sends a, a bike for review, they are talking to Kaz regardless. Like, it's not like there's like a, some sort of, massive bureaucracy between the the tech team and the people who are who've sent a bike through so yeah. oh i got yeah i got a thing to bring up here we should bring up evil bikes oh yeah sure yeah because oh, someone was going to say this in the comments like why do you guys never review evil i think the last full evil review we did was back i don't even know like 2013 or 14 or something mm -hmm. that it was evil insurgent and since then we've asked for bikes and they've never been able to send us one for a long enough time for a long-term review i did a first ride of that um the reckoning like earlier yeah, they, last year you had to build that bike though Kaz. you just got a frame didn't you well the insurgent yeah because the insurgent when that came out i really wanted to um to review that and they didn't have any completes and so i ended up getting that frame from a local shop and building it with my own parts just so i could review it because i really wanted to ride it um what year was this i think 2013 maybe mm. maybe no it's later than that when did that insurgent come out it's all a blur yeah yeah i don't even know what year it is now maybe 2016 either way it's been a while since we had a full long-term review of an evil but um yeah and they're new the following came out this year we tried to get one mm -hmm. and if we don't have bikes to ride we can't review them so there's no bias there like if they would send us a full bike we would review it but they just haven't uh, for whatever reason where all these other companies have been able to so um yeah yeah, a lot of times having or knowing these people behind the bikes too, you could go to them and I mean, they're just bikes. Like we're we're not saving lives here. Like we can go to the company and be like, hey, I got to run this thing at 20% sag. Otherwise I'm bottoming out everywhere. And if that's how it is, the people probably know that it's a fairly linear bike. And John at Company X says, oh yeah, we designed it like this because... How diplomatic he was being. See? So tactical. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. John at Company X. <laughs> <laughs> well you know john is such a good friend that i'm going to give company x a killer review yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and and also if we do have you know a bike or a bike or part or anything that really does have an issue, whether it breaks or just doesn't live up to its claims, you know, we let the company know we're going to be. We work with them. We're like, hey, this review is coming out. It's not good. What do you guys have to say? Basically, in order to give them time to respond. So instead of just having a review come up that says this thing sucks, and then having the company be like, "Oh, it doesn't suck. You just did it wrong." You know, we like to make sure that we we broke it the right way. I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, when it comes to brands, how much do you guys speak to them like before the review? Because I think I've said before that like, I've been to a few press camps. I know obviously press camps are different to doing a full review, but before you even hop on a bike, you get a two-hour presentation all about the bike, and it kind of sets your expectations. And then, lo and behold, two weeks later when the embargo lifts, there's 20 articles that go up that are pretty similar to that presentation, um, which either is the journalist hasn't had enough time on the bike or there's kind of an element of confirmation bias there where... The, the the idea is already planted in their heads, I guess. So how how much do you speak and to these? That's why brands? and that's why everybody wants us to go to all the press camps. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they Which think it like, works. <laughs> yeah. If there was a benefit from COVID, it's that we didn't have to go to press camps and companies just send us bikes like we've been trying to get them to do for years. So now the way it's been working for you know, at least the last year is a company typically sends, you know, an editor to the bike. Um you know, I ride it a decent amount. And then it's usually after I have a few rides on it, I'll end up having a meeting with a company and they kind of give, you know, give you the cool age feel, let you know what they're thinking. And that's the way I like it. If I can get some rides in without knowing too much, just the basic setup tips, anything like that. And then, um, and then talk to them about, you know, their thinking behind the bike that, that works really well for me. To be fair, I've also been to press camps where they actually have done it in the opposite way for that exact reason. They said, Hey, let's just go ride this bike we just want you to ride it and think about how it's working and we'll do the learning, the classroom stuff later. And I think that's worked out really, really well. And I think too, like, it's nice to have people come visit us when possible. That helps you, you know, if you can evaluate a bike. I mean, you're laughing, Brian, but like, I don't need to go fly to Sweden for a day to ride a bike where I yeah. live in an amazing place for riding. And if the company wants to send out, you know, send out a rep and we can go for a ride on the trails where I test the bikes, like that's pretty ideal. Yeah. And then we get way better feedback as well, too. We're riding the bikes on trails that we ride every day, trails that we ride competitor bikes on. So we have a better sort of feel as to what's happening. Our pictures are different. Our article is different. Your, it definitely colors your preferences because a lot of bikes aren't designed for Squamish, right? There is a bigger world out there. Well, and that's, that's their the fault, things. Brian. <laughs> yeah. But what, I mean, I'm not going to go to like, <laughs> yeah. No, I agreed. Think, yeah. Agreed. Uh, the, the idea that we live in, I think that's one perception that's a little funny where you know, oh, Squamish is so magical. You can only like, it's not magical, but like the fact that you couldn't test a bike that's designed for smoother terrain and Squamish oh, yeah. is inaccurate. You know, same with like Bellingham was only about this and you can't test, like we live in places with a huge variety of trails. Like mm -hmm. I can go find a trail that's exactly like what you would find on the East Coast or I could find a trail that's exactly like you'd find in Iowa. Like those exist. Really? Right. Where? But they're here. <laughs> no, but there, there's a section like even on like local mountain Galbraith has like a, they call them the bunny trails. They're super smooth and mellow and I don't go there often, but if I was testing a, a cross-country car trail. riding a Z-bike, everybody. <laughs> just can, no, they're not allowed. E you can't ride e-bikes on Galbraith. No e-bikes on Galbraith. Oh, <laughs> but, don't ride e-bikes on Galbraith. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there is that perception that we live in gnarly places and only ride gnarly trails, but we have a huge variety. Both of us are spoiled to have whatever type of riding we like at our doors. All right. I want to play a bit of a game here, Kaz. I want to talk about... Our preferences, our biases. Isn't that I what we've been talking about the whole time? <laughs> <Yeah>. No, specifically. <laughs> we win a prize. I want a prize. <laughs> specifically yours, mine, Brian's, James. So if I had to guess, Casimir, 
Now, I've, I've read a lot of your reviews over the years. Your preferences are for a bike that focuses on descending and you don't really care about climbing all that much. Am I right or wrong? You're wrong. Oh. Because I want it to be comfortable when I'm climbing. I don't, I'm not afraid of the climb switch like you are. You have I'm not afraid of it. Phobia. I just think it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a phobia. But I do want to be in a comfortable position when I'm climbing. So a bike with a super slack seat angle or just feels horrible when I'm climbing, it's not going to be my cup of tea. But, but speed, getting to the top at a certain pace or at a certain time, that's, you don't care. Not as much, but, you know, again, a lighter bike that's super comfy for climbing that also happens to descend really well. Like, yeah. I want to have everything. So you're happy so. to walk up all the climbs then, is what you're saying? Definitely not. I he said that off camera, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the last climb I walked up. I don't walk up climbs. <laughs> no. no but, even uh, when but, the battery dies at his e-bike, he doesn't walk up climbs. That's true. I will pedal. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that you prefer a bike that skews more towards descending capability on aggressive terrain than climbing capability. Yeah, exactly. I'll give it more leeway to, you know, if it's not quite as good a climber, but shreds on the downhill, that would be my preference, even for shorter travel bikes. Like if I, I still have in my mind that I'd like to check out some like 120 mil full suspension bike with like a 62.5 head angle and see what that's like. As long as it has a motor and a battery. No, what does it need a motor for? It's <laughs> I, I, got, just, oh. I just love bugging you, Cass. I know. We need to go e-biking one of these days. It's pretty fun. But um, but yeah, so as far as yeah, climbing, I do like a bike that climbs well, but it's not the number one goal of the bikes. Cass, like, you are more concerned with climbing body position, and Levy's more concerned with climbing pedaling efficiency of the suspension. Yeah, yeah. I think that would and be cleaning technical stuff. Yeah. I guess let's put it like this. Kaz, you will happily put ass guys on the front and back of your bike. Um, semi-happily, I usually don't want to run one in the rear, but yeah, I would <laughs> yeah, be fine either. with slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if it's that versus like icons for a downhill bike, then yeah, I'm going to go ask guys. Dude, icons are just fine. They're just a little loose. It makes it more exciting. Well, I don't I actually do like the icon. I like the icon a lot. <laughs> like the two, four icon is fine. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, preference wise, yeah, my typical yeah. bikes that I gravitate towards a little bit heavier, more focused towards the downhills and that's okay. All right. So if you had to guess about Brian's bike preferences, let's take a stab here. Hard travel or hardtail, no cable guides. Lots of like 3D printed stuff. Small companies. Yeah, European handmade. (laughs) Germany. Yeah. (laughs) Angle sets. I'm going on. (laughs) 100% accurate though. Carbon wheels on a, a steel hardtail. I want those wheels back, Brian. <laughs> I'm sending them up with Sarah today. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Brian, bike preference. I know you got some kooky bikes right now in your shop, but realistically, tell me the kind of bike you prefer. Oh, man. I mean, right now my bike stuff is pretty kooky because I'm, I'm sort of like bracketed on either side of my regular bike. I'm, I'm overbiked and underbiked with nothing in the like probably what i should be on so i've got you need to like mate those together yeah i've got that madonna with like which is a big big bike and then i've got i've got that kodak hardtail which is a hardtail with stupid angles um and it yeah i mean i should probably be on for what i ride and what i like to ride i should probably be on a stump jumper maybe stump jumper evo something like that you need evo yeah I've been riding the stump jumper light. It's it's light. 
It's pretty light. Isn't that so good, Cass? It's so fun. But it's, I get it's, worried sometimes. With what's happening I know. <laughs> yeah. You get into something and you're like, oh, shit. It's very light. I think it's like I put those light wheels. Now it's like 27 pounds with pedals on it. And it's like coming from a 35-pound bike and then riding 27? 27 pound. That's yeah. chunky. Your bike's a fatty. My Mondraker is like a little over 24 with pedals, Cass. Yeah, that's scary. This one's kind of scary too. But <laughs> I think one thing we should talk about is what our typical rides are like. You know, if we're... It's just a lot of it comes down to riding style. Like my typical rides around here, I like to go out and I'll climb for a while, but then it's all about that good descent, you know, getting a bunch of good descents mixed in with my ride. Um, mm-hmm. We're like, I know, Brian, I know you're on the dad program. So your rides tend to be a little shorter, right? So you're taking the, the hard shop. shell out. Yeah, it goes to the coffee <laughs> shop. the coffee shop and back. <laughs> That's it. Well, I mean, off, no, like my rides of my mountain bike rides have gotten longer because I only get like one or two days a week to go. So I try and like fully disappear for that time it doesn't happen that much but then my honestly like my hour and a half time slots are generally gravel bike now it's like go to sfu do a lap ride home it's like it's i'm not happy about it but i'm still satisfied do you guys want to hear about my rides yeah i was gonna ask you what kind of rides do you do you do some gravel some down country i do all sorts of stuff lately for the past few months i tend to be doing a lot of like hour-long, just like quick little rides, and then mixed in with lots of really big ones that wear me out and and make me be like, I can't sit on a bike seat for a couple days. And then I do a whole bunch of shorter rides, and then I do a handful of big ones that wear me out again. Um, so definitely covering ground. I want to cover ground. That's sort of the mode that I'm in right now. It's not always that way, but... And I think that's why um, I like sporty bikes. bikes yeah, like people. when's the last time you went out and just sessioned a set of jumps? Oh, geez. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's another difference between our riding styles. You know, like I, we yeah. have some good jump lines around here and I'll hit them for a little bit before starting the rest of my ride. And but maybe I also, it. you are also not really a get all the climb out of the way and then just do this descent type of rider. No, it's annoying. Try and link up a bunch of like uppy, downy, uppy, downy, uppy, downy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, I think it's chicken and egg, but on the Madonna, I just want to get the climb out of the way and then descend. And I don't, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah. Like, if I was riding Madonna. that Madonna, I would too, Brian. That's the problem. No, but, no, no, but like, I don't, I'm not going all over the mountain on that thing. Whereas on the hardtail, I'm definitely not seeking out just a, a spin to the top and then a descent. I want, I want to get like entertained. In a, I don't know. Yeah. All over, and but. that's what I do. It just depends what I'm on. Like, yeah, yeah I, I mean, if you look at my, of different rides i do there's all kinds of styles but i like i'm up for a good techie cross-country ride just as much as i'm up for a as long uh, as you're on an e-bike plummet. no <laughs> that's stump jumper old. it's like an e-bike you don't even need e-bikes once you ride a bike that weighs that little it doesn't even like it makes e-bikes seem silly because why would you send it weigh? back to me no i like it <laughs> uh one thing i will admit i do have a preference kaz this has bitten me in the ass a handful of times I have a preference, a bias towards sort of weird, strange products. Mm-hmm. You do. <laughs> I think the perfect example of this, something that we disagreed on, would be that trust message fork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I didn't actually ride the message. I rode the shout. So we rode two different ones. But the shout was definitely something I didn't get along with and would never purchase for my bike, where you yeah. seem to think the message was magical and pretty good. Uh, I don't know about magical, but... I really liked how it made the bike handle. And in if I lived in certain places, I could be like, this thing is weird. It's doing some weird things sometimes. But the plus side 
to how this fork worked, I could live with it for sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a weird thing. I think that you, I think a lot of other people would be like, no, nah, this apparently they went out of business, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I still have that trust fork and it's not going anywhere. I'd like to keep using it for sure. Yeah. I sent the shout to James, uh, James Wong has it now. I think he's going to, uh, yeah. put it on a different, a different bike, but yeah, that bike, I mean, that was a long, longer travel version, but it, the handling didn't work for me the way it felt when you're landing off of jumps just felt like yeah. it would be almost locked out at times. Like because forget anymore. about it. Absorbing bumps, just the handling. <laughs> yeah. What, what is suspension even for? <laughs> yeah. It helps you like pump the ground, but I could just put a rigid carbon fork on there and have some super, super light yeah. weird bike. I think, I think that there's a really, you got a balance between, we obviously want to remove as much bias as possible, or at least be clear about it, but That's we don't want to remove the character, you know, and we want to give some of these wacky things a fair shot. I think, I think if every bike was a standard four bar, eight out of 10 bike or bike product, it would just be boring. Um, oh, yeah. and, and Definitely. not good. Like, so I like, I would say Levy more than Kaz is probably a performance outlier when it or sorry, a preference outlier when it comes to the pink bike commenters. Uh, lots of people are this on the same page as Levy, but in terms of pink bike commenters, f- with for example the trust fork, Kaz is probably closer to what yep. the readers' preferences are. Um, so you know, in that way, it's like, oh great, that's a more you know we should have Kaz review that fork. But on the flip side, I think it's really important to kind of take on board some of the things that these people are trying to do and go a little bit further and have a bit more character. So, yeah, I think if you go back and look at that trust review, I think we did a pretty good job of back to back comparing it to a, a Fox fork and talking mm-hmm. about those drawbacks. Um, but I agree. It's important to keep that character in there and most important to tell you guys what those preferences are. Uh, super important to let the, let people know in the reviews like Kaz you prefer a more active bike and that's why you like such and such and I prefer this and that and and the more you guys know the more you'll be able to take from these reviews yeah and I think I should also say like I'm always up for testing strange things as well like they might not be I might not be searching out the next great linkage fork in the way that Levy is but when one does come into well, test I do enjoy trying the different things and it's you know because something you know, I don't think everything has been figured out yet. So it's fun to try the, the new, more obscure items. What's, what is a product, Kaz, that you thought you would dislike? You're like, oh, I'm never going to like this. This isn't whatever. What things that I like? It's not my preference. And it ended up surprising you. Is there a product? Uh, that's a hard one. Let's see. The E-bikes in general. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a bias. Yeah, we didn't talk about my e-bike bias. I don't really have as much now. I still am very biased to anybody that says e-bikes will replace regular bikes, like wholesale replaced mountain bikes, because that's not the case. But I did used to be really biased against e-bikes because, I mean, the early ones sucked a lot and I hadn't ridden a ton of them. But now that I've ridden some better ones, I think there's a place for them. But so that's a, that's my bias changing. I want to see that's, you eat the hat you're wearing. You know, it's a good hat. I don't know if it's, it's not very edible, but... Um, I don't care. Eat it. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, so that's a, that's an example of a bias that I had, and now it's it's changed. Although I still, like I said, I'm still very adamant that regular mountain bikes aren't going anywhere, and I don't like when people are like, "Oh, you're never going to ride a pedal bike again," because at the moment I have access to I have access to some of the fanciest e bikes in the world, but I'll still five days out of seven not ride them because I'd rather go pedaling. So, uh, 
yeah, that's a current bias I have, I guess. But yeah, as far as uh, back to your question, Levy, the a product that surprised me that I wasn't sure about, I think, I mean, maybe like those Hayes Dominion brakes. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. talked about them a few times on this, but I will say I have a bit of bias towards Hayes brakes just because of um, negative experiences in the past. Like they had a run where their brakes just weren't that great. So when they came out new ones, I'm like, oh, I don't know. But then I tried them, you know, because we have to try things and they're great. So um, yeah, that's an example. Sometimes your past experience can color your expectations, but hopefully they've exceed them with their next product. I have a bias towards haze brakes because purple haze were sick. <laughs> yeah, but I also had a pair of HFX9s with the wandering yeah, no, no. Uh, thing. And so, yeah, we don't have to no, go no. down that the, the route. Last, yeah, the so, last pair of haze I had were, were purple haze. So Yeah, like, um, yeah. so that's a thing. Um, yeah, I think that off the top of my head, that's the most um, obvious one, I think, where I, it exceeded my expectations by a lot. I think an obvious one for me would be those silly looking Tioga seats. You know those those ones with no, no you're padding. You're just straight wrong on them. No, you're just wrong. Like, dude, I've seen, they're so comfortable. I mean, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I've definitely seen a lot of broken ones. They're they don't yeah, look good. Those probably weren't Tioga seats. There's tons of counterfeit ones out there. Mm, they said Tioga on them, but I don't yeah, know. the fake ones say Tioga on them. I've had yeah. three or four of them. I don't think I've broken any of them. That is a lie. The one on the Grim Donut is broken. Is it broken? I didn't yeah, break yeah, it. You broke it. It was broken. I I, it's the very first, when you put it on, it was broken. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I broke it. I don't remember seeing it broken. You you look at it and it doesn't look like comfortable, but it it is very comfortable. And that's I mean sometimes you just like to be contrary. So you'll you'll you run something that might not be the ex- exact perfect. What do you thing, mean sometimes, Kaz? Well, I'm being diplomatic. I we were trying to. <laughs> he's being tactful right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's good to have a contrarian on the team, you know. Yeah, no, you got your quirks. It's what about four of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a little harder. <laughs> Brian's like, I have such a headache right now. <laughs> All right, everybody, let's wrap this up with comment gold. The first one is from Adam rides his bike. This is on the last podcast. What kind of mountain biker do you want to be? He says he wants to be one that turns his own pedals. Adam rides his bike. I hear you. I do too. Uh, the next one is from the Seminoc Unclicked podcast. This one is from Sun Ringlay Rider. He says, it's really cool to see a rally car driver that rides BMX. Maybe someday he'll try a mountain bike. I bet it'd be okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, we didn't really mention that in the news. That that podcast was actually really good, the mm-hmm. Unclicked. It's like two hours interview with Seminoc, and I listened to the whole thing, and it was definitely pretty entertained. And like, it's just cool to get more insight into him, to hear him talk more than a few sentences at a time. So anybody that hasn't checked missed or hasn't listened to that, go check it out. We got two more comment golds. This one is from Chafing Dish. This is on the Ibis. Chafing group. Dish, I think. Chafing. No, that's not chafing. That is chafing. how you spell chafing. That is how you spell chafing. <laughs> but Chafing you know, Dish sounds cool. Chafing Dish is good. <laughs> it's hard. They're all squished together. Yeah. <laughs> he says, this is on the Ripley AF review. Instead of a dentist bike, it's a dental hygienist bike. <laughs> Um, you know what? I'm revoking that comment, Gold, because I think that was already a comment a couple of other times. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think that's original chafing dish. Oh, that's You're getting comment coal. Stealing jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comment coal is good. <laughs> well, our last comment, Gold, I am impressed by this one. This is from Charlie Went Outside. He says, a few podcasts ago, y'all mentioned the Microsoft Tay chatbot and mentioned that no one should ever attempt to simulate Pinkbike comments like that. Well, I did it. This guy made a Twitter account that tweets AI-generated Pinkbike comments 
trained from a library of tens of thousands of PB comments over the past couple years. This is good. Do you guys want to read a couple? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'll start with uh, this one is from came out. It just says, we're all going to die. I think that's pretty good. That, that fact, the robot is saying that. Uh, yeah. here, here, oh, my God. I hate what I see. Can't stand the concept of a 30-pound bike with a motor. <laughs> that was accurate. It's, they're all yeah. really good. I know. Yeah. It's another, it's a, uh, so the best bike for the money is a modern, 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 modern bike i have a 50 year old dhr out of the box it has been perfect all my life <laughs> that sounds like every freaking maxis dhr owner <laughs> it's bald but it still works yeah. i was thinking turner dhr oh, but yeah uh, uh, oh those are what great. was the one about levy yeah. levy's fastest tweeting. time in 2020 was 2.4 seconds so i think it's safe to say that he is the fastest man in the world Stop i feel there. that he too has a lot of talent but he is slower than most of us <laughs> <laughs> That comment's an emotional roller coaster. It really is. And then there's one, I have a set of GX pedals that I can't find anywhere. (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny. I don't know. They're just like little like brain twisters. You're like, wait, it doesn't make sense, but it almost does. It's so close to being a perfectly fine comment that makes sense. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not. (laughs) Is it going to get smarter the more he does it? Yeah, I think he's going to, he was, I haven't read his email yet, but I think he said something about how he was going to feed it some different stuff to make it a bit smarter <laughs> what is the what's the twitter account name so everybody can go check this out it's at excited pink bike everybody go check out excited yeah. pink bike on twitter to see yeah. ai generated comments i think the next step so we've replaced we've essentially replaced pink bike commenters with this bot the next step is if we can replace ourselves with with a bot and then can we, we can do just... an ai generated bike review i don't know can Sorry, what was the guy's name? Uh, Charlie went outside. Can you AI generate a bike review for us? Let's just see how far we can take this. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. That is it for episode 62, Editor Preferences and Why They Matter. Uh, let us know in the comments what your preferences are and how much of a factor they are when you're purchasing a bike. If you're looking for a bike um, that climbs well, does that mean that you're a person that only cares about climbing? Maybe you want that bike because you're not a good climber. So then you want a bike that helps your climbing. I don't know. Let us know what you think in the podcast and we'll see you for episode 63.